KPFB in Berkeley, KFCF, 88.1 FM in Fresno, and online at kpfa.org. Time is 3 p.m. Up next, cover to cover, open book with Richard Walensky. Welcome to Open Book. I'm Richard Walensky. My guest is Loretta Greco, who is the Artistic Director of Magic Theater, which is located in Fort Mason Center in San Francisco. She's also the director of a play, Annapurna, by Char White, which just opened and will be running through December 4th. Let's talk a little about this new play, Annapurna. I understand that you had met the playwright Char White a while ago, and you decided to contact his agent and see if he had anything new. What put you on to that? Well, I actually had seen a play of Char's called Sunlight at South Coast Rep, and I met him there, and I started following his work at that point. Actually, his agent is an old colleague of mine and was my first agent. So we, we share Peregrine Whittlesley. And so Peregrine sent me the other place, which was the next play Char wrote, which had tremendous success off-Broadway last year in a production starring Laurie Metcalf. And I just thought I, his work is so intriguing and poetic and uh, it was funny because I was at a place in season planning where I just wasn't quite happy with the mix and I you know I said we've got to call Peregrine and see if Char has anything new and he did at that point you'd suddenly expanded back to five plays for the season we've gone from four and then we were expanding back to five yes so you suddenly had an open play as well we had, we had a yeah we had a new slot we were restoring a slot and i just thought you know he was a voice i'd been hoping to weave into the season so here comes annapurna this play and literally his agent responded very quickly and i took the play home i read it that very evening which is rare <laughs> and it just killed me. I sat in a chair weeping like a baby and laughing out loud. And you know, that's a good sign. So I woke up the next morning and I said, you know, read it again. I read it again. And I wrote Peregrine immediately a note. And I said, I have to do this. We have to figure this out. And what, what's the relationship with that in South Coast repertory? Well, it's a commission from South Coast. So it was about having David Ems and Martin Benson bless that we would do a second production. And as it came to pass, they decided that they weren't going to produce it this season. So we ended up getting the world premiere. At that point, you decided, hey, this is something I want to direct? Well, you know, it really spoke to me because I'm always looking for plays that I think are quintessential magic plays that really boil down to incredible emotional viability, great language, something that I know that this audience wrapped around the action can really relate to. So I loved the subject matter. I loved this two-hander, these two people coming together after 20 years. And once Char found out how passionate I was about it, he said, why don't you help me develop it at South Coast? So we got to work on it together last year during Pacific Playwrights Festival and then bring it in here at Magic. Well, when you say that a play that's specifically for Magic, what is it that is different about Magic Theater over the years that separates it out, say, from any other company here. And maybe every artistic director will say this, but I feel like, A, there's a very particular piece of the mission that is about adventure. And I like to think that we 
pick plays that are really bold and probably are plays that a lot of people wouldn't produce first. And we turn them into things that are exciting and successful enough that they become contagious. And people who might not have said yes, say yes to them in future productions. But I think I'm looking for something, you know, it's 160 seats, our space. It's very intimate. So it is different and unique in that way. And we're a, a thrust, a true thrust, where the audience is around three sides of the action. And the playing space is actually quite small. So I'm always looking for plays that have great muscle, where actors can really flex their craft and passions around writing. And that when you come to a magic play, the audience doesn't just come to see a play. They actually come to experience a play. And that's by virtue of the setup itself. I think a little bit. I think the proximity of it. And I think also there's something about our subscribers, for instance. Our subscribers subscribe to 100% risk. They have no idea what they're going to see year to year because it's all new. So I think inherent in the magic is this sort of spirit of pioneering. We're going to come, we're going to see something before anybody else sees it. And I think that that sort of adventuresome spirit is inherent in people who walk in. So I think, yeah, I think it's the intimacy. I think it's the muscle of having um, that new play mission. And I think it's sort of the joy of none of us knowing what's going to happen next that makes it a little bit different. It also means that there's more room for failure, I guess. And I mean, what happens then if you're working on something and you're walking into it and you're going, oh, my God. Well, it's true. It's, you know, you have to have a real appetite for risk in the new play business. I mean, you really do. Because we don't hang our hat on a on an American chestnut. We don't hang our hat on an old comedy everybody loves or a musical. We don't have a winter show that's a feel good. So it is. It's 100% risk. It's a little scary. But I think the thing that I like is that of all of our audience members, subscribers, single ticket buyers, it's not always going to be your cup of tea. So for some people, they're going to say, I really didn't like that one. But they always have passionate responses as to why. So it's not that it was something they didn't think about. They thought about it hard. And, and then they wrap their arms around three or four of the other plays. So it's always interesting because I feel like there's something always for someone, you know. But it is hard. We're very hard on ourselves. But I think that we have a pretty decent success rate that sort of is demonstrated by future productions and plays resonating out of the magic and across the country. Loretta Greco, do you feel better? Better about having moved the space from the proscenium then because it creates a, a, a more intimate environment? I really do. You know, that immediate decision was fueled by the economy and us trying to very quickly become as nimble a, a company as we could. But I will say that quite honestly, during the search, before I even had this job, I sort of turned to the committee and I said, why do you have two theaters when you're only doing five or six plays? You know, for me, it was a no-brainer. The proscenium or the end space, I love. It's a gorgeous, comfortable theater, but it is similar to many theaters across the country and many theaters in town. For me, the experience of the thrust here, it's the kind of experience that got me to fall in love with theater initially. It's the kind of experience you have at, say, Arena Stage or in the Ansbacher at the Public. And those are two of my favorite spaces to really experience work. So for me, it was a no-brainer. What we're up against could have been anywhere, but Brother Size 
which is a very intense play, I think would work better because it's, what, three people, and Annapurna's two, would work better in this kind of space. I think the immediacy to the action, especially in something like Brother's Size and here in Annapurna, is really key. I think the other thing about Brother's Size and about this space that's exciting, Annapurna has a very particular set, but Brother's Size was done with very little. Now, the world of the play visually was a very thoughtful one, but it basically was done with nothing. And I think that's the exciting thing about this space, is that when you're surrounding a little, what I like to call a little postage stamp of a playing area, it really can boil down to the words, the actor, and the audience, and you don't yearn for anything else. Loretta Greco, Annapurna has two people. It runs 90 minutes without intermission, and that means that you have to hold an audience (laughs) during that time. (laughs) One of the things I noticed about this particular production is there's a lot of food in it, a real sandwich is made, there's real food. You walk in, and it smells of burnt, rotten sausage. It's not on early in rehearsal because you really want to be digging into the moment-to-moment work. And then you've got six bags of groceries that you're supposed to do something with. Denise, who plays the character of Emma, she was so fantastic in saying, let's just jump. Let's just get this thing done. But there are passages in the script that Char specifically says while she unloads groceries, while she makes his sandwich, and it is absolutely his intent that his score be integrated with the score of everyday functions like making a sandwich. Well, when you've got two people doing a dialogue for 90 minutes, essentially, between the two of them in, in the set that's uh, a, a trailer without walls, so you could go into the different rooms. Uh, when you're doing something like that, you also need to make sure that the audience is always focused and that their minds don't wander which means there has to be a lot of action no matter what. How much of the play is Loretta Greco making sure there's action to keep people focused, and how much is in the script? It's all in the script. I mean, the thing about Char is that he is incredibly intuitive about the ebb and flow of not just human nature, but of a relationship that is 30 years long. And he has an incredible ear for domestic relationship. There are moments where they fall in and it is as if no time has passed and it is very heated and very fast. And then just when you least expect it, there's a really quiet, simple moment. And that score is really in the text. And for me, it's about honoring that. I like to say that he's got this poetic precision within the writing, but... Finally, it's a man and a woman who both have incredible needs and they're both out to fulfill those needs and keeping the ball in the air. It's part of the assignment and it's also part of the fun because I also feel like just when you think you know what's going to happen, a piece of information is shared or circled back to that really causes one character to go off map. It causes the direction of the play to alter in a very exciting, dramatic way. And that's all in the play. I notice you keep using the word score rather than script. And I don't mean in any precious way because that's not me and it's certainly not Char White either. But I do think about scripts musically. I think that I respond to scripts 
as if they're music. And the funny thing is I really know very little about music. So it's not like I came up with a music background. But I'm very interested in rhythm. I'm very interested in counter rhythm. I'm very interested in the way a note can be extended, a thought can be extended, and one person can extend the beginning of a line and the other can complete it. I think about the script as a piece of music. Well, that may be one of the reasons why you can direct something like Speed the Plow or what we're up against, which almost feels mammoth they're mostly about rhythm. Oh, they're all about rhythm. They're definitely about rhythm. And I think Oedipus El Rey is another example with a very different script. It was all about rhythm. And the funny thing is, is we're talking about this now, Richard, but I think it's just sort of inherent. It's the way I approach things. When I read a play, when I'm directing a play, I think like the audience member that I am. I don't think like, oh, this is a moment that I want to craft as a great director. I don't think like that at all. I think about how am I forwarding the script that is in front of me, and I think like an audience member because I know where I lose attention and start to think about my daughter and what I needed to do last week and what bill I need to pay, and I'm acutely aware of we're in the entertainment business. And I want to move people and I want to challenge people, but I also know that I hate it to feel like a play. I want it to feel like something exciting is unfolding in front of people so it keeps their attention, and that has to be musical. Let's move on a little to your own career and your work at the Magic. This is your fourth season at the Magic. I think there was some controversy when Chris Smith left. When you walked in, what were you walking into? Chris is actually a colleague and a good friend. So I had come here with Chris's invitation initially to speak at a panel discussion around new plays. When I had a good time, he invited me back. I worked on a new play called Morbidity Mortality, another piece of the Hot House Festival. Chris is the one that actually said to me, I think you should apply for this job. There was a headhunter and I got headhunted and the search was a real trajectory that was extraordinary because there were probably eight trustees on the search committee, which is unheard of, and they all were equally passionate about this place and about them wanting it to become even more adventuresome. So I knew an awful lot about what their hopes and dreams were. I knew a lot about the history of the magic because as a kid coming up and as a theater lover, I mean, I always knew about the magic. Well, the magic was Sam Shepard's baby and before that Michael McClure's. I mean, this is this was San Francisco tradition for a long time. When you came in, you had to leave New York. At that point, were you working on the uh, New York Women's Project? You know, I had been at the Women's Project for a couple of seasons, and I was back freelancing and actually still keeping my association with the Women's Project up. I did a new play for them that year. But I had come out to ACT and done Blackbird, and then I came back the following season and, and did Speed the Plow, and I was working on a number of new plays and something at the public. And actually, the headhunter called me, twice and I had said no not interested finally I said okay 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 I'll, I'll meet the search committee I was very happy in New York and the thing that I was dead set on was having professional adventures and leaving New York while I still was in love with it so once I sort of fell in love with the trustees and with the idea that they actually weren't asking me what movie stars can you bring and can we do musicals and how do we but rather they were digging deeper into the initial intent 
of the mission and saying, can we be more adventuresome? You know, I thought this is a damn good reason to sort of leap and take a new adventure. And, you know, I love New York. It's going to still be there. But I'm really, really happy to be here building a body of work for the magic and, and really reinvigorating this next chapter of its life. You're listening to an interview with Loretta Greco, who's the artistic director of Magic Theater in Fort Mason, San Francisco. Annapurna, which she directed, will be playing through December 4th. Well, Loretta Greco, what happened in 2008? It, it seemed that suddenly you guys were in debt with lay people <laughs> 2008, off. let's see. Um, well, there were some real, um, there were some real fiscal challenges, and that was probably the only surprise. It was very, very, very hard, and it was the result of then probably 42 years of the magic sort of living on the edge and being a rock and roll theater and the edge meaning that their financial situation was never uh, solid, solid, solid. And then came the recession. We're a small theater. We really got hit hard. And it really was an emergency. There was more debt than, than one had imagined. We did an incredible amount of due diligence to dig up where that all came from. And, but we had to do an emergency campaign. And it really was one of those now or never. My board was they were heroic because there was no way the ship was going down on their watch. We reached out across the country. I mean, we raised over $450,000 in uh, a matter of weeks. The board was a big piece of that. It was really an extraordinary time. We got donations from 22 different states, which really speaks to the magic being a local jewel, but a nationally renowned jewel, which no one was willing to see go away. And I say all of this with great gratitude and a lot of humility. There are theaters in a lot of trouble still. The economy is still incredibly tough on all, all theater, all of the arts, but theater in particular and especially new play theaters because we're at 100% risk. So it's still very, very tricky for all of us. Art and politics do go together. And I've noticed that there seems to be a focus on multiculturalism here at The Magic and on feminism as well. It's so funny because, you know, one of the reasons that the Women's Project wasn't a perfect fit was because I wasn't enough of a feminist. And I would never qualify myself as one. I love women, and I've spent my life working my booty off to get where I am. And I've spent my life also really supporting young women and trying to really help pave a path that's a little easier for them. And I'm a strong advocate for the many, many extraordinary women writers and women directors um, who have a little harder road ahead of them. That said, the mandate here is that we do great new work. And so when people say to me, oh, you're doing that multiculti thing, I've done that multiculti thing my whole life, and it is not as a matter of political course or a matter of that I got a grant because I didn't. I'm just gravitated to the work that speaks to me, and that is, again, exciting and unpredictable and trying to take some new paths. And so writers like Teresa Rebeck and Luis Alfaro and Lloyd Sa, you know, Claire Chafee, I mean, they excite me. And it's not because they're women or Latino or black. You know, Terrell's work is 
remarkable. He could be green for all I knew. You know, I was going to be a part of the brother-sister plays no matter what. I am interested in the audience chewing on material that has a shelf life. I think too often we go and we experience things and we get in our cars and we go have a drink afterwards. We go to dinner and we never think about it again. And if that happens after you see a magic show, then that's failure. That's what failure looks like to me. So I'm trying to pick plays that will evoke thought, will evoke some sense of being challenged into a new place, into thinking in a new way. But I definitely don't have any kind of formula like, where's the black play that we're doing, or we don't have a girl writer. There are great women writers that producers never give a second thought to, and that's their problem. But I'm not going to ignore the great writing that comes across my path that have a girl's name at the bottom of it. So I think we probably have a disproportionate number because of other people's challenges, but we're just doing the best plays that that we can. Loretta Greco, the next play in uh, this season is Jesus in India which is a contemporary take on the pre-gospel Jesus or something? It's incredible. Well, it's it's the return of Lord Sa, who did American Wong Gap my first season here and really charmed audiences and critics. And, uh, you know, we've had a lot of productions of Wong Gap, an international premiere as well. Lloyd immediately began working on this play, and it's an idea he had a decade ago of these lost years of Jesus in his 20s. There are many interesting, solid pieces of history that would lend themselves to the idea that Jesus actually traveled through India. So that's the seed, right? And so he's looking at Jesus before he was Jesus. It's irreverent. And it's very funny. And he joins a punk band. So there's bad punk music. But finally, it's evolved. You know, we've been working on it now for nearly three years. It's also evolved to have an incredibly dramatic spine. Really excited to have it finally come to the stage. And Any Given Day is set in Scotland? We read a couple of plays of Linda McLean's. Jane Van Julian, our um, then head of New Play Development, came across her work. She was blown away by Linda's work. She said, Loretta, you're going to love this. And I did. And then she started talking to Linda and we found a way to bring Linda out for uh, a couple of weeks. So we had her in residence last season. We fell in love with two of her plays, but more than that, we fell in love with her. So Any Given Day is an American premiere. The writing is super taut. It has a wicked sense of humor, but it is definitely about the randomness of violence and of happiness and contentment. I'm really excited about starting this relationship or continuing our relationship from last year with Linda with this production of Any Given Day and introducing American audiences to this international voice that I think is a really important one. And the final play of the season is Bruja by Luis Alfaro, who did Oedipus El Rey, which was a Latino take on the story of Oedipus. And this is Medea? It is. You know, what we like to do here is we really like to give an artistic home to writers. So it's not that we're looking for what's that great play that we can do and then, you know, bon voyage, good luck to you. So at the end of Oedipus El Rey, I said to Luis, what do you want to do next? And he said, I've always wanted to do Medea, but I've always been afraid of it. And I said, why? And he said, well, because I think there's a relationship maybe with Cuba 
and I'm not Cuban. Now we're 48 pages in. It's not in Cuba. It's definitely inspired by things that stem from Cuba. It's sort of here in San Francisco right now with an East L.A. Chicano sensibility. But then Louise said to me a couple weeks ago, I'm now sort of putting my Cuba lens back on. So, I mean, this is the fun of being in progress, right? I don't know where it will be set, but we'll decide before we go into rehearsal. I believe in Luis. I also know how Luis works. And I thought if I didn't schedule it, the play wouldn't get written. And so I scheduled it, and I scheduled it at the end of the season. So there's some savvy there. But finally, the fun is the process to the work and then getting in rehearsal. And I'm really enjoying the development piece, which is half of our mission is to develop this work. Yeah, the fun is not knowing what it's going to be. The joy is knowing that what it will be is 1,000% Luis Alfaro, and that can't ever be bad. Loretta Greco, you're a director. Did you want to be an actress at one point? Did you want to be a writer? How did you wind up a director? I always wanted to be an actress, and I I did. I pursued it all through undergraduate, and I, I played lots of roles through my years in college. And to graduate from Loyola in New Orleans, you had to do a thesis project as an actor. You had to direct a play, and I was furious. I thought that was the most ass-backwards thing that any department could ever ask. And I got in the room with this little piece called And Miss Reardon Drinks a Little by Paul Zendel. And I swear to God, I had no idea what I was doing. I got in the room the first day and I went, oh, this is what I'm supposed to be doing with my life. The great thing about being a director is you get to have your eyes on everything. I think I'm a visual artist, so I like thinking about the visual world as well as clearly about language. And um, But finally, you know, I'm a storyteller. I like telling stories that are going to keep people in their seats and keep people leaning forward and keep people thinking that it's actually unfolding before them. Well, Loretta Greco, we're in a bad economy. Uh, I understand that... Every show now does one free performance at Laney College, is that correct? We do. We have a whole season in Oakland at Laney College. We were dealt a few lemons and we made some lemonade. We had to cancel a show here of Brother Size because there was a huge Fort Mason concert associated with Fleet Week that was going to have, you know, 10,000 people show up. And we thought, well, we can't have a show. And so I said to Patty Lockhart, our, our marketing director, I said, you know what? We have the show scheduled. Let's still do the show. Let's figure out where. And within three days, we had Laney scheduled. We had this performance. 380 people showed up, people in line an hour before the performance of Brother Size, totally free. I thought, huh, all right, let's bring Rebeck there, and let's see what happens if we do a Lily White show in Oakland. It was during spring break. The campus was closed. It was the sixth day of rain. We had about 80 people waiting in the rain, came in and saw the show. Again, we had one of the most invigorating post-show dialogues we've ever had. So Patty and I decided we're going to do a whole season at Laney. So we have Saturdays at Laney. It's completely free. It's the complete season. And uh, we have a really exciting post-show talk back. You know, we have lots of ways to purchase tickets. Price points shouldn't be something that keeps you from coming to the magic. We pride on ourselves on that. We really are a theater for all people. We are really are a kind of public theater. Um, if you can't catch it at Fort Mason, catch us at Laney College. We'll be there on the 19th for Annapurna. Saturday, November 19th, 2.30 p.m., and you just stand in line and they let you in. Absolutely correct. 
Loretta Greco, where do you go from here? Have you thought about what you're going to be doing after the magic? I'm really dedicated to the next five years and escorting magic to its 50th. That excites me. I'm kind of crazy in love with being here right now, so I don't think about it much. But if you were depress me, I would say I want to be at another theater that can really add to the dialogue. And I don't know that I'll ever be able to run something that doesn't have a core piece of its mission connected to new plays, because I think it's what ensures the livelihood of this art form. You've been listening to an interview with Loretta Greco, who's the artistic director of Magic Theater, which is located in Fort Mason in San Francisco. You can go to magictheater.org. Annapurna is playing through December 4th, followed by Jesus in India, Any Given Day, and Bruja through the course of the next season. I'm Richard Walensky on Open Book. For more information about this show, go to bookwaves.com, where you'll also find an extended version of this interview. Celebrating the Arab Spring, plus songs from Palestine, a Swat Arabic Music Ensemble returns to the Islamic Cultural Center in Oakland on November 20th at 3 p.m. This family-friendly event includes a Swat youth plus dynamic singer-songwriter David Rovix and benefits the Middle East Children's Alliance. Tickets are $15 in advance, $20 at the door, $10 for low-income and children under 12. Reserved seats up front are $50. For details, see MeccaForPeace.org. If you use a wheelchair, call and we'll assist you. 510-548-0542. That's Aswat, performing November 20th, 3 p.m., the Islamic Cultural Center, 1433 Madison Street, downtown Oakland. 